Before our scripture reading, please pray with me. Open us, Holy One, to your word and to your way. Clear our minds of our daily distractions, which are so many. Fill our hearts with humility that we need to hear and receive the message you intend for us today. Amen. Our New Testament reading is from the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Listen for God's word to the church this morning. So then, remember that at one time, you Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcision by those who were called the circumcision, a circumcision made in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at the time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel with the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He is our peace. In His flesh He has made both into one and has broken down the dividing wall, that is, the hostility between us, abolishing the law with its commandments and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. Through Him both of us have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then you were no longer strangers and aliens, but you were fellow citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus Himself as the cornerstone. In Him the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you were also built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice together as God's people. Be glad in it. Second reading, as you see, is taken from Matthew, an account unique to Matthew of an interesting event in the life of Jesus, and the setting, the place where it takes place is critically important to the story. Hear now God's word. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But Jesus did not answer her at all. His disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away. She keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter 
was healed instantly. This is the word of the Lord. I have been counting over the last year places where I travel, church signs that boast the invitation, visitors welcome. It's, it's catchy and a good marketing tool, but I often wonder, do they really honor that promise? Do they really welcome all people or just those who fit in, who mingle in their, the right social circles, live in their neighborhoods, belong to their groups? From what Paul could tell and what you can sense in the reading, it doesn't appear that the church of Ephesus had put out their welcome visitor sign. Jewish Christians in the group were causing division, flaunting their special status as God's chosen people. And now, to Paul's horror, some Gentile Christians were even active in the process, excluding other Christians, pushing them away. And this second part actually blew Paul's mind, and he was their target. You were once aliens, separated from Christ and his promises. You were strangers, having no hope and without God in the world. Now you've been brought close through his son. How could you, in other words? Well, the simple matter is, is that people behave in sometimes predictably ways. We are all gravitate toward like-minded people. That's not necessarily a judgment, but it's a predictability. But we are critical of sometimes of those who act, think, dress differently than we do. But if you find yourself in that situation, again, ask yourself this. That person who offended you or that you don't like, what is more valuable to God? That person or your principles? Young woman, former prostitute, started visiting this church. She'd been married, divorced twice at a young age. She had a beautiful voice. The pastor suggested that she join the choir. She did. She loved it. After several weeks, a couple of church members came up to him after service. She said, we just can't stand it. She sits up there like she belongs. Now, from what you know about Jesus, did she or did she not belong there? We like our kind of people. That sounds fine. It sounds harmless until we see the results. People get left out. We draw lines. And drawn lines create angry hearts and minds. And then, to make matters worse, we stop listening. We stop caring. Do you realize that Jesus never met a person he couldn't love? Now, he may object to a person's behavior or lifestyle, but he never gave anyone the impression they weren't welcome. Shocking. We do it all the time. You know what happens to a person when they get excluded long enough? Inside, they, they get desperate. And how sad that we forget who we are, all of us equally in need of grace. Two men were in a rowboat. They were approaching land. One man started drilling a hole in the boat under his seat. The other man was horrified and asked him to stop. And he said, this is none of your business. I am drilling the hole under my seat. Well, Paul was putting his foot down. We are all in the same boat. <laughs> it's time to put down the drill. 
Time to stop judging and labeling and doing those things to keep people apart and instead strive to love and accept people as Jesus did. The same boat in which we all live, we're all equally in need of God's mercy. We're all equally sinful and yet we're all equally lovable. Poet Carl Sandburg was once asked the ugliest word in the English language. You know what he said? Excluded. It is an ugly word. If you've ever been left out of a group, if you've never been, never been picked for a team, if you've never been let into the inner circle, you know how ugly a word it is. So this woman comes up to Jesus today. Now you need to meet her today. The setting does tip us off. Sidon, Tyre. What does that mean to you? Nothing, right? It's a Gentile area. It's enemy territory. No self-respecting Jew would ever go there. It's as far from the safe confines as Galilee as Jesus ever went. And here she comes, panic-stricken. Her daughter is on death's doorstep. And she has to weave through a crowd and, and she has to wait to see if she's going to, to get any audience with him. And she throws caution to the wind. Now, what you need to know is she's got three strikes against her already. She's a Gentile. He's a Jew. She's from Canaan. He's from Galilee. She's a woman. He's a man. Add all that up, she probably is not going to get his time. She's an outsider. She's a no-name nobody, not even listed in the text. This pushy woman on a mission. And if you've ever met a woman with a child on death's doorstep, it is a mission. And she will let nothing stand in her way. Hearing of his reputation, she weaves her way through that crowd, suffering whatever insult she must. And she just blurts out this line. Where it came from, God only knows. Lord, son of David, have mercy on my child. Where did she get those words? They weren't part of her vocabulary. She'd never been welcome in a church. She'd never been to Sunday school. Where do you get words like that? And after, after all the waiting and putting herself at risk, Jesus is silent. Her plea is just kind of left hanging there. Everybody's eyes are fixed on him. What will Jesus do? And you know, you've stood where that woman was, if you think about it, waiting on God with life and death hanging in the balance. What will God do? After that waiting, after the worrying, what does she hear? But it's not good to take bread from the children and give it to dogs. Well, wait, excuse me. Jesus, <laughs> um, did you just call this poor soul a dog? Does God only heal and love his chosen people? Or does he let the rest of the world get the crumbs of grace that fall from the, the table, the scraps, the leftovers? This word here, dog, in Greek, it's, it's interesting. We're not referring to a, a sentimental, sweet house dog like mine. He's talking about varmints, wild dogs, scavengers roaming the land going through trash cans. 
Dog was a label the Jews sometimes attached to their pagan Gentile neighbors. And Gentile dog though she may be, she shows more faith than many of the so-called insiders who drove Jesus nuts. Call me a dog then. Treat me with disrespect. Just keep my child alive. Even a dog catches crumbs now and then. Here's the point. Jesus never intended to exclude her. This whole thing was a setup. This was more of a test of the audience than her. He was trying to measure their table manners. Whom should be invited and whom should be excluded from God's table? God has an open heart. Always has, always will. And can I ask you, where would any of us be if God didn't? We would be toast. So Jesus holds up a mirror in front of our faces and forces us to take a long look at ourselves and our attitudes. Christians are people who tear down some of the barriers that other people build to get in the way of God. And yet they forgot. They forgot. You know, people forget. They go on back to the same old ways. They start excluding, forgetting their own needs. Mark Twain once said, If heaven were earned by merit, my dog would go ahead of me. So would mine. But to all of you who've never been accepted, never fit in, never been accepted inside the inner circle, God's word to you today is that we're all accepted at the Lord's table. I'll never forget this family. It bothered me for months. Visited my previous church. They obviously, by their, by their appearance, were poor and dressed accordingly. I called them after a couple of weeks. They had not been. And I told them we missed them. And they said, we just don't fit in there. And I had to ask why. I'm not going to tell you why. I just don't want it to happen here. Putting visitor welcome signs out front is fine. But you know, what is really meaningful is for truly making people feel welcome once they are inside. So this pushy woman leaves us a beautiful mental image of what it means to take communion today. Catching crumbs that fall from the master's table waiting for our scraps, hoping that God will be gracious to all of us who are truly unworthy anyway, hoping that whatever we get from God, we will remember that we don't deserve it. This young man was dying of AIDS. His family was devastated watching him suffer. One day his father was talking to a chaplain at the hospital, told him how the other people reacting to his son was the worst part. The stares, the patience, the silence of friends who never came, the nervous way the hospital staff treated him. That chaplain asked if they'd like to have Holy Communion together as a family. and They all started getting teary-eyed. He brought in the communion set. He broke and blessed the bread. And then almost on cue, they started passing the, the cup to each other. And after finishing, the, cu- the son, laying in the bed, finally started to speak. He said, 
Chaplain, AIDS isn't the worst thing that has happened to me. He said, oh, what, what is? Needing God and not knowing if he still cared. My friends, that isn't something that people should think based upon their interaction with us. Let us pray. Lord God, we give you thanks for your word, your word in print, and your word made flesh. In Christ's name we pray and for his sake. Amen.